0: I am Jackie Miller, High Conflict Divorce Coach and Consultant and host of this podcast, Out of Crazy Town, Your Guide to Divorcing a Narcissist. I am very excited to introduce you to a special guest who happens to be a colleague of mine. Alana Sharps is a divorce coach and consultant, also specializing in High Conflict Divorce. Her practice is called Surthrive Tribe. Alana has written a book that will be released soon called, Was It My Fault? She joins me today to talk about her book. and I I am honored to have Alana on the show with me as she shares her difficult journey through an abusive marriage and high-conflict divorce and custody battle, which was rife with post-separation abuse. Hello, Alana Sharps. Thank you so much for joining me today on Out of Crazy Town, Your Guide to Divorcing a Narcissist.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: I'm so excited to have you on the show today because I've already alluded in in the intro uh, to the fact that we are actually colleagues.
1: That's right, we sure
0: are. So we've both been through our own difficult journey and uh, which brought us to where we are being high conflict divorce coaches and consultants. And I'm so excited that you have continued your journey on to writing a book.
1: That's right. I felt like sharing my story helps to increase awareness about narcissistic abuse and that it can help other men and women out there.
0: Absolutely, I'm, I'm so happy that you've done that because there is no such thing as getting too much support or validation when you've been through something like what we've been through. So I think it's fantastic.
1: Yes, yes. And I feel like people don't talk about it. And we need to talk about it so that we can get the resources that we need to actually fight these battles, especially when we're in family court and we're going through a divorce or a child custody battle with a narcissist. Yeah. So is that why you wrote the book? It's actually not why I wrote the book at all. The book actually started out as therapeutic journaling for me. And during the process of doing the journaling, I started sharing my story with others and they started asking me questions like, what steps did I take to get out? And how was I handling the financial side of things post separation? And that's when I realized that there are a lot of other people out there, just like me, concerned about leaving and being able to live their lives and be successful after leaving such an abusive relationship. Yeah. And probably why you became a divorce coaching consultant as well. Exactly right. When Tina Swithin came up with the High Conflict Divorce Coaching Program, I said, oh, this is excellent. It's a way for me to continue to help people in addition to sharing my story in my book. Awesome. I know. Well, I know
0: I felt exactly the same way, and that's why I'm here. And it's interesting because I guess I'm just now having this thought that I just sort of chose the path of the podcast and you chose the path of the book. And so it's great. We have all these different modalities for people to get support.
1: Exactly.
0: So why don't you... Um, so, well, first of all, let's tell people what the name of your book
1: is. The book is called, was it my fault? And I chose, was it my fault? Because I feel like when you're in that type of relationship, you're constantly told it's your fault. The narcissist continually tells you, I did this to you because you did this or you're not doing this. And so you feel like you're crazy. And so you're constantly asking myself, was it my fault? Is this my fault?
0: Well, then on that note would you kind of sort of walk us through what your journey is? How did it begin? I mean, I don't know if you want to start when you met your ex or wherever you want to start, you pick.
1: Sure. So I actually met my ex through online dating and he was moving to the area from another state. It just so happened that we met when he was coming to the state that I was currently living in. So as soon as he got here, we started to date in person on our first date I felt like he was my soulmate. It seemed like we had so much in common, down to favorite movies, favorite music, our goals in life. He was like the perfect person. And so I remember leaving the date that night and feeling like I just met my soulmate. And I actually told myself, I'm going to marry that man. And the relationship progressed very quickly so within three months he had already moved in with me and within a year and a half we were married and then the year after that we had our first child and this is very common in narcissistic relationships they move very quickly they love bomb you tremendously in the beginning i used to get flowers every week at work to the point that my coworkers were like well what did he do to give you flowers every week and i'm saying to them these are just because flowers Isn't he the greatest guy in the world? You know, you're googly-eyed and, you know, you're so in love.
0: Oh, my gosh. I actually have the chills. Other guests that are survivors, I have them talk about the beginning of their journey because it never ceases to amaze me how it all matches up. The soulmate right off the bat, the very quick progression, you know, the the marriage within a year and a half or sooner. Um, And it's just, you know, maybe not exactly, but pretty darn close.
1: That's right. They all have the same MO coming in. It's amazing. I agree.
0: Yeah. So when did things start to go kind of south?
1: Uh, Two weeks before we got married, we got into an argument and he was a completely different person than I'd ever seen in the year and a half that we have been together. He actually blew up at me. And it threw me off. And I said to him, I said, if this is how it's going to be when we're married, I don't want to get married. I'd rather not put up with that in a marriage. And he completely flipped back. He apologized and he said, it's not going to be like this when we're married. I promise. I apologize. I didn't mean to blow up with you and was very apologetic. And so I accepted that and continued on with the marriage anyway. But once we were married, even on our honeymoon you know, little things started happening. He was starting to change slowly, but surely. And it just progressed throughout the marriage and it got worse and worse over time.
0: Yeah. So the mask started dropping um, again. And we start to see those looking back, especially those red flags. But we give a lot of um, leeway because the beginning was so amazing. Right. So they've paved the way for us to forgive a lot of things that we shouldn't have. And so when did you like really start to think, "Uh oh, I'm in trouble?
1: Um, You know, it's hard to tell because it was so subtle in the beginning, and like you said, we remember them during the love bombing stage when everything was great, and I found myself constantly looking for that guy that I met, and I felt like, okay, if I just become the perfect wife, you know, I'll get that person back. So even though over time, he started isolating me from my friends and family, he started controlling who I talked to. And when I talked to people, he wanted to be around me 24 seven, he was accusing me of cheating, even though he was doing all of these things. I still felt like, okay, if I just do this, I just do that change this do what he asked, I'm going to see the man that I was dating again, and not this new person that's just totally throwing me off guard.
0: Uh, You know, I want to Read one of the posts that you have on your Instagram, um, which is the handle is Sir Thrive Tribe, correct? Correct. And that is also your website, sirthrivetribe.com.
1: That's right.
0: Okay, because I just want people to know also where they can go and and see more about you and your book. This is something that sort of reminds me, and it's an excerpt from your book of what you were just saying. I cringed in fear, backing away from John, who had the look of pure rage in his eyes. I was terrified. My heart began to pound as if it wanted out of my chest. I tried to think of what to do to calm the situation. My palms were dripping with sweat, and no matter how many breaths I took, I couldn't get enough air. I panicked. Is he going to hurt me? And I have highlighted, tried to think of what to do to calm the situation. Training happens so that they fly off the handle and we're running around wondering what we can do to fix it.
1: That's exactly right. And that was my life. And I not only was trying to protect myself, but I was trying to shield my children as well. I didn't want my children to constantly experience the narcissistic rages. So I was throwing myself in the middle of conflicts he was having, especially with my oldest child, who was, and I explained this as well on my Instagram, he was the scapegoated child. So we had a golden child and we had a scapegoated child. So my oldest son and myself, we were the ones that got the rage the most. So not only was I trying to protect myself, but I was trying to protect my oldest as well.
0: That's just another behavior I should say in the arsenal and the tools that they use is the golden child, the scapegoat child, um, you know, that a lot of people see in this situation. It's so sad to watch
1: as a parent. It is. It's very difficult to watch as a parent and you feel guilty. But at the same time, you're saying to yourself, this is my husband. You know, you want to support your husband at the same time. You feel like your kids need to be protected as well. I don't think that any mother should have to choose between a husband and a child.
0: It's awful. And yeah, I think that as things progress in in any of us that have gotten out those moments where you start to think, "Okay, this is the reason I have to leave it's my kids.
1: That's exactly right. And that was the reason why I left. What was the turning point for me was I actually saw my ex assault my oldest child who was 19 years old at the time. And at that point I said, okay, now we're going to physical violence and you're hurting my kids. It's not just me trying to take all the mental hits. You're actually physically abusing now and it's time to go.
0: Absolutely. Okay. So let's sort of jump ahead to that. How did you leave the situation? How did that go?
1: Um, I told him that night that this incident occurred that I was leaving. And I actually got on the computer that night and started looking for apartments immediately. And it was very terrifying because whenever you tell a narcissist that you're leaving them and they feel like they're losing power and control over you, that is when you're most in danger. And from the moment that I told him up until I left, and it was a month and a half before I could actually move into my apartment. I did not sleep because I was terrified of what he would do to me if I actually fell asleep in his presence. And he taunted me the entire time as well. He harassed me. He made me feel unsafe in the home. I was, I felt like my children were unsafe. So it was very unsettling for me up until the day I actually moved out.
0: And I was just going to ask, because even though we've just spoken about them often following a script or being the same. They also have their own idiosyncrasies. And so what were kind of his hot buttons or his things that he kept, you know, kept at you?
1: Uh, sex was a big one. If I went to sleep and he felt like he needed to have sex, then he would keep me up until 4 or 5 a.m. arguing about that or arguing about something frivolous so that I couldn't get sleep because one of their tools is sleep deprivation. If you're sleep deprived, you cannot function as well as someone that's getting adequate rest. So you tend to give in more. You're more Easily, you know, you're more easily manipulated than if you were firing on all cylinders. The other thing that triggered him was my oldest son. He felt like I treated my oldest son with preferential treatment, even though he was treating our daughter again as the golden child. So whenever I stood up for my son or tried to protect him, then he would rage at me. So anytime he didn't get his way or he felt like he was entitled to something and I bucked him or went against him, it set him off.
0: Yeah. And you know, something else so sad that many people experience in relationships where there is narcissistic abuse or coercive control is competition with their own children. Correct. Correct. That's exactly right. So unhealthy. Also, so manipulative in the fact, like you said, he kept everyone at odds. I mean, really think about that. Now you're at odds with your daughter. The siblings could be at odds because one's golden child and one's scapegoat. Um, You're trying to jump in and defend scapegoat. So that could even create some tension there. And it's like, everyone's in chaos in your house, just as he planned.
1: That's exactly right. And the key phrase is just as he planned. Yes, narcissists like to divide and conquer. And he doted on my daughter, My son was the scapegoat. And then he's also, you know, mentally abusing me the entire time. And we were all at odds. My kids didn't feel like they could come talk to me about anything. They were terrified to talk talk to anyone about what was going on in the home because they feared the consequences. And my ex was constantly telling everyone that my son was doing things wrong in the home. My son was stealing or my son did this. My son did that. My son wasn't doing anything. But that was his way of dividing and conquering. That's how they maintain
0: power. I want to go back also to um, a point there was in your book. And I wanted to read this because I've heard this happening to so many clients as well. And it had to do with, um, if you ever do make it into therapy as a couple and some of the things that can happen, or just therapy yourself, I should say, not even just as a couple, but you had posted on your Instagram account, the marital counselor tried to inform me John was a narcissist. I dismissed her observation, not fully understanding the traits of a true narcissist. She told me he would
1: never change. I had two options,
0: leave the relationship or deal with it.
1: That's exactly right. And I hate that the term narcissist gets thrown around so freely in society because everyone tends to think of a narcissist as someone that's very grandiose and they're walking around with a mirror all the time. Narcissistic personality disorder is not that at all. These people are very mentally abusive to everyone around them and very manipulative. So when she told me he's a narcissist, what do I think about the guy walking around with the mirror all the time? I'm like, that's not him. That's not my problem you know, I don't understand what you're talking about. And yeah, like I said, in the quote, I just dismissed it. It wasn't until I actually left and I started reading up on narcissistic personality disorder. And I started reading other people's stories that I realized she was right. That's exactly what he is.
0: And I think the other part of that, that is so profound is uh, therapists may be really trying to help, obviously trying to help, but when they say he will never change. You have to put up with it or leave. You can't fully grasp that because it's like, but we're here in therapy and people get therapy and they get help. And then we learn how to work better, better together as parents. And that's how this all gets better. What does that mean? He will never change. And you can't, unless you have a, get a full education, like you just said, and start researching, you can't comprehend what that phrase really
1: means. Exactly right. Because you feel that, Either you can do something to make the relationship better, or they can do something to make the relationship better. And we actually saw five therapists. She was the only one that actually realized what was going on. Everyone else said, I was the problem and I needed to do more because my ex comes in there and he's just like, oh, I love my wife so much. And I just want our relationship to work. And I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And nothing seems to change. And I just want things to be better. So of course they get the empathy of the therapist and you're sitting there looking like the crazy one because you're saying, okay, it's cycles. Like he's really nice one minute and then he's really mean the next. And I don't know what to do about it because I'm changing myself and nothing ever changes. Nothing gets better. So I got it both ways. I got the lady that said, Hey, your ex is, your husband's a narcissist. And then I had the other people that said, well, Lana, you need to do more in the relationship.
0: So, A, you're re-traumatized, but B, it's very difficult because, you're right, obviously their charm skills are off the charts, okay? These folks are extremely charming, and so you're not going to get anywhere in a therapy session unless you have a very astute therapist that, like you said, can possibly see through it, but you're just spinning your wheels, and it's exhausting and um, deflating that you're putting all this effort into it, and then you just walk out like, oh my gosh, I'm the problem, and I just want to say out there, I've said it on other podcasts, but to listeners, just trust your instincts. If it's just not right, even if a therapist says it to you, trust your instincts, that deep down gut feeling that something's
1: not right, something's not right. That's exactly right. I mean, I was actually in tears with three of the therapists just trying to explain what I was experiencing in the home. And they still they looked at my ex and they're like, you know, he's so charming like this. This man can't be harming this woman in any way. It must be her. It must be her that has the problem. And it was very frustrating, very frustrating for me. Well,
0: I know that something else you and I have become experts on is post-separation abuse. (laughs) And I'm sure that really kicked in when she finally got the courage to leave, which is part of the fear. We just don't know what it was called yet, right? Um, So what, what are some of the things that started to happen when you left the relationship?
1: The first thing that started to happen was my daughter the golden child, refused to see her father. And she. we were doing the exchanges. She did two exchanges. And then she decided she was going to live with me full time. And she was not going to spend any overnights with her dad. Well, of course, that set her dad off. How dare her refuse to come and see him? And so he filed a child custody lawsuit against me, citing parental alienation because my daughter can't make that decision on her own. So it has to be her mother influencing her not to see me. When my daughter was actually having severe anxiety, severe depression, she asked me to see a therapist and she specifically said, mom, I do not want dad to come. As soon as she said she didn't want her father to be there, I knew something was wrong. And so I immediately made an appointment for her to see the therapist. But of course, dad being dad, dad came to the appointment anyway against her wishes. And
0: I always like take a breath when I hear clients say, my child no longer wants to see him, wants to have anything to do with them. And I'm like, okay, we need to brace for impact on the parental alienation um, claim because that's what's coming down the pike. And as you know, there are even studies out now that prove that the abuser uses this as their defense. Um, just to make the protective parent look like they're doing something wrong when we're just trying to protect our kids.
1: Just trying to protect our kids. And my daughter was 15 years old. I'm like, she's a teenager. She can make her own decisions. She grew up in the same household I grew up in. So she saw everything that went on. I don't need to influence her, nor would I ever influence my daughter not to see her father. That was completely her decision. But you know, of course, like you said, the narcissist uses that as a tool. How dare you not want to see me? I think it's double
0: pronged too. It's like a, their ego can't take that a child has just basically made it public that they want nothing to do with them. So there's that. And then obviously the, now they're losing control of another, you know, person or family member in their life. And so the rage is next. Yes.
1: Yeah. The smear campaign. I mean, he spoke to everyone trying to get them to produce affidavits against me because he had to build his case. He had zero evidence and everyone that he approached refused to write an affidavit going against me. I'm glad to
0: hear that. That is a plus because you're right. You never know how the case is going to go down and who might fall in line behind them or believe they're garbage. But yes, Again, another spoke on the wheel of the post-separation abuse is definitely the smear campaign, um, enlisting the flying monkeys to go do their dirty work. And uh, it's hard because if people you care about are hearing just lies and you just don't know if they're going to believe them, because, again, those guys are charming and believable.
1: And even when I started telling my stories to my own family, they couldn't believe it because they saw the charming person. They're like, it's so hard for people to grasp that this person was a monster behind closed doors. And I'm like, it's not just me telling you these stories. My kids are telling you these stories. So you have a collective family telling you, hey, this person was really mean to us and did some nasty things to us when you guys weren't around. But he was a total monster behind closed doors.
0: And did you keep a lot of that private and just within your immediate family and not tell your, your extended family about
1: it? I did. I did. And I didn't really open up to my immediate family completely until I had left the relationship. And I found myself explaining why I left the relationship and, you know, to hear the stories about what happened to my oldest son, all the things that my ex did to him just blew people's minds because it was so cruel. You you can't imagine a parent treating a child so cruelly like that. Yeah. And it's interesting because I think a phenomenon
0: happens that, A, victims in this situation, they're, they're partly like thinking, well, I don't want to air our dirty laundry. And, lots, and then you're also being threatened lots of times, don't you dare air our dirty laundry because they don't want people hearing about it. And then the other thing is, though, when you start to tell their stories, you get the infamous quote, why did you stay so long?
1: I even got that while I was writing my book because I enlisted a ghostwriter to work with me because I wanted to write the best material that I could. And he, as he's reading through my story, he kept asking me, Alana, why did you stay? Like incident after incident, why did you stay in the relationship? And so I explained in the book, you know, my thought process. This was what was going through my head. And because the narcissist continually tells you, it's your fault. It's your fault. After you hear that so many times, you start to think that it's your fault. So you're constantly evolving and trying to change to please this person that you never once think, hey, I'm not the problem. It's you. Until that light bulb goes off in your head and it's like, no, you're the problem, not me. And I'm going to go ahead and get out of this relationship.
0: Yeah and they use a lot of tactics to keep their significant other in the relationship. I mean there's financial abuse and control so you don't have the funds to leave or you're afraid you won't the threats that they'll take you down and ruin you, threats they'll take away the children. And yes, yeah, so you day in day out you live with those wondering if they're capable of all of that.
1: Yes. And then you also have this thing called trauma bonding, where you're bonded to your abuser. And it's very similar to Stockholm syndrome. Like you just, you try to get out. I think I tried to get out like seven times as I started reading, my, rereading my story in the book. I was like, oh my gosh, look how many times I tried to leave the relationship, but I just got sucked right on back in, you know, the promises to do better, Or, you know, them constantly telling you, why would you break up the family? You're going to destroy the children. I had my ex's family telling me the same thing don't break up the family, you're going to destroy the kids. So you feel guilty for even thinking about leaving because those are the thoughts that they put into your head. It is your fault
0: that that bad things are happening to your marriage, not all of the abuse that occurred during your marriage, your fault for stopping it. Therefore, you're breaking up the family. And you're right. It's the feeling of loneliness or just being alone in this battle and on that journey is so overwhelming because you have to have the courage to override all of those threats and try not to believe them or just as hurtful as they are, keep putting one foot in front of the other. And again, going way back to the beginning of our conversation, why you and I do what we do, because
1: it's so painful to do it alone. It is. You, you just feel like no one understands and you're right. That's why I do what I do now is because I want to tell people, I understand what you're going through. Like, you don't have to explain to me a hundred times that your ex is a narcissist and what they're doing to you. All you have to tell me is narcissist. And I know exactly what you're going through because I experienced it. And I feel like people light up when you tell them, I understand. And I've gone through it. It's like a sigh of relief comes over them. Because they don't have to constantly explain, and you know, feel like they're crazy and not being believed. Validation, a huge part of it. Um, I could have,
0: I still can't get enough validation. I swear. I know that you have so many other stories in your book. I'm not going to let you tell all of them because I want everyone to read it and and hear for themselves. But there's going to be validation in every story, I'm
1: sure. That's right. And, you, you know, the, my daughter being the golden child, he actually turned on the golden child. But I'm going to leave that story for the book. Oh, OK. Yeah, that is a good one. And I also feel like, you know, the ones I still share one child with him now that's going back and forth. But just having the different parental perspective in my home versus what's going on in dad's home, I can always already see a change within my youngest child. Mm-hmm. And I tell my clients, you know, my oldest is 22, my middle is 18, and my youngest is 13. I'm still going through post-separation abuse because I still share a child so don't feel like just because your kids are older post-separation abuse stops until your kids become adults you're probably going to experience some form of it in one shape or another yep you're right and I guess kind of what
0: I was alluding to earlier goes along with that because you're going to get stronger this is going to affect you less when it happens we're going to get you tools in your toolkit to use when they do happen and you know you're going to become your own expert on the subject and so you will get stronger it is what it is the radical acceptance right of where we are in the situation is that we had children with this personality disordered individual But you will, you will get better at it.
1: And we're there to support them, right? As their coaches, we're going to give them the strength as well. We're going to encourage them. We're going to tell them that it's okay when they come to us crying, saying, you know, he did this, this, and this. We say, okay, let's look at what he's doing. Let's look at what evidence and facts that you have to combat it. And we'll get through it together as opposed to them going through it alone or feeling like they're alone going through the experience.
0: And that's where obviously therapy is so important too for both um, us and our children. Hopefully in life, I kind of try to look at the silver lining. They will understand this personality type and they will know how to deal with it in the future and avoid it in important situations like
1: relationships. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Lots of red flags to look for, lots of conversations and lots of um, on the positive side, what to look for, right? What good looks like.
1: Yes, what good looks like. And I'd also say on the positive side, even when you go into a healthy relationship where you feel like you're strong enough to start dating again, you have to learn to trust again. You know, it's hard. You're so used to being in survival mode when you're in the abusive relationship. You know, you control what you say, what you do, you walk on eggshells. When you get into that healthy relationship, you're still kind of acting in survival mode. So you just, you have to learn how to trust and how to, you know, not act like that, that person that's been so much I've been told on a number of occasions. Just relax, relax, Alana, it's okay.
0: And since you've learned these skills, not you specifically, but you and anybody else that's gone through this, we have developed skills as coaches, that we're helping people develop additional skills to deal with these folks and go out in the world and try out your new skills it's okay you need to practice a little you know and i'm not trying to force anyone to go out and date necessarily but go out and start new relationships because you do have this new toolkit you do know about all the red flags now and like you said you have to just kind of wobble on your new legs but you know you, everyone deserves if that's what they want to, deserves to be in a happy relationship positive and healthy
1: Definitely positive and healthy, no more narcissistic relationships because we know the signs to look out for after we've experienced it.
0: And it is possible. And I like to actually ask all of my guests, we sort of just talked about it, but what do people, in your opinion, Alana, have to look forward to when they do kind of get to the other side of this divorce and custody battle?
1: Peace, confidence, (laughs) thriving. Once you get therapy or healing, whatever your own healing process is that works for you and your mind is clear and you're not caught up in that fog from disassociation and being in that abusive relationship, so many doors open up for you. The possibilities of what you can do as a person are endless. I mean, I did so many things prior to my relationship that I just stopped doing during my marriage And to be able to do all of those things again and get me back, oh my gosh, I I felt so good. I felt like a brand new person. I felt like I woke up from a coma when I got out. So that's what you have to look forward to. There is a light at the end of the tunnel.
0: Yes. And, and that's really what I want people to know. And that's why I do the podcast and have experts on and have survivors on like you. I want them to know there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There is a support system out there waiting to help you. And we we all want you to succeed and feel better and your children to feel better. And um, you can do it. That's
1: right. You can do it.
0: So tell people how, when your book is going to come out and how they can get it.
1: My book will be released on December 1st of this year, and it can be purchased on Amazon. On my website right now, if you want to keep up with the updates on the book, if you go to slash book, I can collect your email address and keep you updated on when the book's available.
0: That is so exciting. I am so happy for you. I'm so happy that you wrote the book. Again, just to give everyone the validation, the information uh, that they need. And again, it is called Was It My Fault? So I'm very
1: much looking forward to it coming out, Alana. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me on.
0: I'm very honored that you came on the show, so please take care. I'm gonna check in with you, keep me posted as to how the book's going. But again, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, thanks, bye-bye. Hi, this is Jackie Miller. Thank you so much for joining me on Out of Crazy Town, your guide to divorcing a narcissist. Hey, go visit my website at JackieMillerCoaching.com Click on the shop page and buy your Power Statement Workbook. This is a workbook and video that will walk you through how to build your power statement. This is a fantastic tool if you are going through a custody evaluation or writing a declaration or even just getting ready to go to court. This power statement will help you present to court professionals such as custody evaluators, judges, even your own attorney so that you can tell your truth and unmuddy the waters as to who the real real high conflict person is in your case. Go ahead and put in podcast 10 to get a 10% discount off your workbook. Thank you again for joining me.